This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Hey, everybody. I want to say welcome to all of our campuses. We're so glad that you're here with us today. I want to welcome our online audience and everybody joining us at our extensions all over the world. I'm so excited about our time together this weekend. We're going to do something unique. We're calling it Team Teaching Weekend. Now, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have the opportunity today to hear from your campus pastor. In fact, even for church online, you're going to hear from your campus pastor, Jay Cranda. And I'm excited because this is an opportunity to highlight our leaders here at Saddleback. You know, the campus pastors here are so vital to what God is doing through our church. And so I wanna encourage you when they bring their part of the message today to lean in, to show them your full support and to let God speak to you through them. Now, before we jump into today's message, I wanna make sure you also know about two important things coming up. Next weekend, we're gonna have a guest speaker, a good friend of Stacey and I's, uh, Hosanna Wong is gonna be bringing the message. Hosanna is an author. She's an acclaimed speaker. She speaks all over the world. She speaks to young people. uh, And God has called her to bring a message to our church and to a generation about our identity and who God's created us to be. And so I want to encourage you to be back for that message. And then also to mark your calendars three weekends from now. We're going to be starting a series that we've been looking forward to for a long time called At the Movies. We're going to be going through several great movies, movies like Jesus Revolution, Maverick, Toy Story 4, and Lion. And what we're going to do is we're going to take themes from the movie, look at the Bible, what the Bible teaches about several of the themes, and apply it to our life. It's a great series to bring a friend, maybe that one life that you've been praying for to come to church with you. This is a great series Um, for multiple reasons. One, God's going to change a lot of lives during that time. Uh, But number two, every one of our first-time guests during that series is going to get a free movie ticket. So maybe you have some friends you want to bring with you. Ask them then to take you out to a movie afterwards. Uh, It's going to be a great series, and we're looking forward to that three weeks from now. Now, today, as we talk together, I have a very important message I want to bring to you with our campus pastors. And this message comes out of my own experience over the last year, uh, but in particular, in my family experience. Now, we had something unique happen in our home recently. It's summertime here in the United States. And what that means is in the United States, kids, and I think everywhere in the world, kids have lots of extra time. And so we've been like searching as a family. What do we do with all this extra time? So uh, this last week I made a decision. I'll go to the gym with my oldest, Cademan, who's 16 years old. And we had a moment in our family. It's a moment that has rocked my confidence. I went into the gym with my son. I will say, by the way, he's six foot four, 285 pounds. He's a very strong, big kid. But in the gym this time, something happened that has never happened before. He is officially stronger than me in just about every area. Squats, bench press, curls, all of it. Now, you may be thinking, what's the big deal about this? But for me, as a 42-year-old man, to think about this child that I once held in my hands that was like, you know, fit in my arm is now stronger than me. He can lift more weights. It's it's rocked my confidence. So I've got one kid that's 16 who's stronger than me. I've got another kid who's 14 who's faster than me. And I've got another kid who's nine who's smarter than me. And so all of this rocks my confidence quite a bit. Now, 
if you think about your own life, there are things that rock your confidence. And sometimes it comes from all the transitions in our world over the last several years. So many people have taken on new careers. Many people have moved towns and there are different challenges that we face. You know, we look to so many different things for our confidence. We look to our jobs. We look to our relationships. We look to the amount of money that we make. And all of these things can rock our confidence. And today for our time together, I want to talk about how do you get your confidence back when your confidence is rocked? How do you get your confidence back? Now, I want to give you a definition of confidence. And the definition that we're going to work from today is that confidence is that key ingredient that empowers me to act on my calling. Confidence is very similar to courage. It's this internal ingredient that gives you the power to act on the thing that God wants you to do with your life. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question today. And the question is, where am I looking currently for my confidence? What is the thing that you're hoping to give you the power to act on the thing that you know you're supposed to do? And perhaps for many of us today, as we've continued to look at the wrong thing, our confidence has been rocked. Today, I wanna bring our eyes back to and our time together with our campus pastors, I wanna bring our eyes back to what is the thing that we should look to to gain confidence, to act on the calling, the plan, the purposes that God has for our lives. We're gonna look today at a passage of scripture found in Judges chapter six in the Old Testament. And as you turn there, these passages will be on the screen and you can also find them in your notes. We're gonna look at the story of Gideon. And I love this story of Gideon. Gideon shows up in the middle of a series of uh, the Israelites turning their back on God and coming back to God. And if you looked at the book of Judges, you could almost look at it as this cycle of the people of God, they turn their back on God and then they cry out to God and God helps or rescues them. And when God rescues them, again, they turn their back on God. And it's this cycle of God sending leaders to try to call their attention back to his heart. And every one of these leaders, you can actually see throughout the book of Judges, every one of these leaders that are almost like a savior for the nation of Israel, there's always something missing in them. Their leadership is broken. And it's almost like there's this longing for a savior. In fact, all of the Bible is pointing towards Jesus as the ultimate savior. No human apart from Jesus could bring the salvation that we need. But in the midst of our crying out, God still uses broken, imperfect people. And that's what he's going to do with Gideon. Now, I want you to see in Judges chapter 6, it says that the Israelites had done evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel to the Israelites, they made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, people from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. Now, it's important to know the Israelites were in the promised land, the land that God had said to them was their inheritance. And they were to be living as people who were blessing the world because they were blessed by God. But instead of living with courage, instead of blessing others, they were living in fear. They were hiding. In fact, all of their crops are being taken away by these different people groups. And Gideon is going to show up on the scene in the midst of all of this brokenness for the people of Israel. 
It says these enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. And when they arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, they stayed in the land until it was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. And then the Israelites finally cried out to the Lord for help. Their circumstances had gotten so bad, at this point, they're gonna cry out to God to rescue them. Now, I want you to notice from this passage of scripture, this really isn't repentance. This is just them wanting their circumstances to change. In fact, often in our lives, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you before, you want it to be different. Maybe you're not pleased with your condition of the condition of your marriage or perhaps your relationship with your kids. You don't like the way it's going financially and you need somebody to help and you cry out to God. And I would say, even if it's just a cry for rescue, God wants to hear from you. God wants to hear, I need your help. Now, there is a difference between a cry for rescue and true repentance. Repentance is the recognition that I can't do my life on my own. I've sinned against God. I've, I've violated his standards for my life. And the Israelites, they want rescue, but really they, they need repentance. They need to turn back to God to worship him is the one true God. And when they cry out to God to be rescued, verse seven, it says, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord. Notice your God. I am your God. It's a personal. He's a relational God. And then he says, you must not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. So you have turned your back on me, Israel, over and over again. In the circumstances, the situation you find yourself in is a consequence from you turning away from me. And now's the time to come back to my heart. Notice God from his words, gives a sermon. He's calling them back to himself. And after God gives a sermon, God's gonna call a leader to lead the people out of their circumstances. And notice what happens next. It says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah. Now that's not Oprah, it's Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide grain from the Midianites. Now, if you're God and you're choosing a leader to lead your people with courage and confidence, are you gonna find somebody or call somebody who's hiding? Gideon literally is hiding from the people that God wants to rescue the Israelites from. And perhaps some of us, we would respond to Gideon. I would, I would go to Gideon and say, Gideon, get, get, get out of this circumstance. There's no way you could ever be a leader if you're living in fear. If you're a coward, Gideon, you need to be courageous. But I want you to notice the approach that God takes. It's the same approach that I'm so glad he takes with me and he takes with the rest of us. God looks at Gideon and before Gideon is ever responding with courage, before Gideon is ever confident in the calling that God's placed on him. God looks at him and says, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Notice how God speaks to Gideon's identity. God calls Gideon before Gideon is ever courageous. God calls him a mighty hero. He calls him up 
into this calling to rescue the people of Israel. And this is what God does. All throughout the Bible, God has a way of changing us from the inside out. And maybe you've experienced this before. Sometimes it takes a while for our behavior to match or catch up with what's happening on the inside. God changes our mind and our heart, but he starts with identity. So the first point that I want to encourage you to write down is in order to live with a greater sense of confidence, I have to discover my God-given identity, what God says about me. There's so much that God says about you. When you place your faith in Jesus, the scripture says that you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The scripture says that when Jesus died on a cross, the father made him Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf in order that we might become the righteousness of God. In the book of Colossians, it says that we are now, if we're in Christ, if we've trusted in him for forgiveness, we are now hidden with Christ in God. That means that the father, the heavenly father, when he looks at you, he sees all of the righteousness, all of the obedience of Jesus, the son, all of it is granted and applied to you. This is so different than what our world teaches. The world teaches that your identity comes from what you can do, your behavior, your performance. Perhaps there are so many things that you look to to satisfy this internal desire for a greater sense of confidence with your identity. Maybe you thought if you got a certain job or worked for a certain company or climbed the corporate ladder, then, then you'd arrive and you'd feel better, you'd have more confidence. But then when you got that promotion, you didn't feel any different on the inside. Perhaps you thought it was a car or a house that you would live in and drive a car. And when you drove that car, you'd feel more confident. But then when that leather wore out and that smell was gone, you didn't have the confidence that you thought you once would. Maybe you thought if you got a certain sum of money that when you got that amount of money, then you'd have that confidence. Perhaps even for you as a student or some of us who are younger in generation, as the world is coming at, you thought, well, if I could just do something about my identity or I could change my sexuality or I could do something different, then, then there would be this form of confidence that would come and that decision, that choice that you made still left you without the confidence that you thought that you would have. All of these things that come from the outside in that the world presses on us to try to conform us into its image. God changes us from the outside in. So when you see yourself as God sees you, who you are, you are a son of God, a daughter of God, called by him, chosen by him, anointed, holy, all of this is who God sees you are. You are not what the world says. You are who God says you are. And the more that you learn to see yourself, the more I learn to see myself as God sees me, the more confidence I can live with. Now, there's so much that the world will throw at us. This is why it's so important to be anchored in the word of God, to let God's loving voice, his kindness be spoken over us every day. I wanna encourage you to read through the Bible and look at all the things that the Bible says about your identity in Jesus. Holy, beloved, chosen, clothed with love and kindness, compassion from God. All of this, when we see ourselves this way, it begins to change our behavior. And maybe you feel dirty. Maybe you feel broken because of some choice that you've made. This is where the gospel message, the message of Jesus, the message of the cross is so different from any other world religion. Religion tells you if you perform and you do good, then you'll measure up. Your perfection somehow will attain this certain level of righteousness. But the message of Jesus is a flip. It's not about what 
you do or I could do. It's about what he's done. And all of what he's done when I believe in him is applied to me. So now I, you, son, daughter of God, chosen, holy, let that encourage you and give you confidence. Now, as we go to point two and three, I want to encourage you to put your hands together for my favorite campus pastor as they come with the continuation of the message. Well, we're going to continue our message here from our extension here in Minnesota. I want to welcome everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So we have extensions all around the world that gather just like this. And so what you're going to hear, you're going to hear kids, you're going to hear different noises. It's because people are meeting and gathering. This is something we love to have our online community to do and do more of. And so thank you, uh, the Minnesota Extension, for doing this. And we're going to continue on by talking about how your confidence grows. Uh, The next point is my confidence grows by embracing my God-given assignment. By embracing my God-given assignment. See, Gideon here is complaining to God. God tells him to do something, and he complains. And he starts whining. And and literally, God says to Gideon in response, he says in in Judges chapter 6, he says, go with the strength you have, I am sending you. I love this because what Gideon is saying is stop whining and do something about it. I I have a six-year-old daughter who has, she has two older brothers. She's the youngest. And because she's the youngest, sometimes, sometimes, not all the times, she can just kind of put a little extra onto a situation and kind of whine a little more. And when I hear this conversation between God and Gideon, I think of my daughter. And sometimes I'm just like, okay, stop, stop, (laughs) stop. Let's, Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Judges chapter uh, 6, verses 13 through 14 says, Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles of our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say that the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us? I mean, he's saying this to God, that, that the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him. I love this this moment in scripture. I don't know if you do this sometimes when you're reading your Bible, but I can kind of picture like Christopher Nolan, like music gets real intense. It says, the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the many nights. I am sending you. What's interesting about this conversation is God doesn't even disagree with Gideon's self-assessment of the whole moment. It is bad. Israel is in a bad situation. The Midianites are ruling them because Israel had sinned and God gave them over. And so he's not disagreeing, but here's the reality is I want you to understand this idea that this situation is very common. It's not a Gideon thing. It's not an Israel thing. This is a human thing. We, We love to complain. It's very natural to complain in tough situations. It's natural to just just to whine a little bit. I mean, I think sometimes like 70% of social media is just whining about something. And then maybe like 10%, 15% kids and then food or something. But like, I, I think about this, like we're, like I know very little about my great, great grandparents. If, if I think about it, they're almost like genetic ghosts to me. But like my great, 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 great grandkids will be able to like probably ask chat GDP who I was and they'll know so much about me because I post a lot of things. And unfortunately, I sometimes whine too. 
And so I, I can share, like, my kids and my great-grandkids will know how I feel about, like, the new Avatar movie and, you know, why I get frustrated YouTube TV doesn't carry the Lakers or something. But it's very, it's very natural for us to complain. And Gideon can't get beyond this. Gideon gets so stuck into this cycle of whining that he's not embracing the assignment God is calling him in that very moment. See, my assignment is that I will own what God tells me to do. I will own what God tells me to do. See, God gives Gideon an assignment and he's given us an assignment. See, Gideon is so focused in on his situation that he, he can't look up. God is literally calling him a mighty hero. He's calling him to go, but he still wants to kind of be stuck into this rhythm. He, he can't think more. He can't embrace. And again, my hope is as you hear this, that you look at the Gideon situation and you're thinking about what are assignments God has given you? What are some assignments that God has, has put into your hands that, that you've already accepted that maybe you've just drifted on and you don't want to embrace it? Viktor Frankl says, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by the lack of meaning and purpose. Uh, I love this quote because as a parent, I could really identify with it. The idea is that like my wife and I, you know, we got married in our early 20s and our 20s was really full of having kids. And, you know, the stress of having kids, paying bills. I still remember, like, how am I going to pay for this birth? I don't know what's, I'm like 23. I don't understand this. Sleepless nights. I mean, but here's the reality. My wife and I would never take back our 20s. Like, we, we, we love it because being a parent is one of the many blessings in life because it had meaning. And so there are circumstances that are going on in your life that you've lost the perspective on. You don't understand it's a God-given assignment. And it's very natural because our first response sometimes is to whine like Gideon. But then the next response needs to be, okay, this is an assignment that God has given to me. So what is the God-given assignment that you have already? It might be uh, your relationship, maybe in your marriage. It might be being a better parent. It might be being a better uh, you know, worker at, at your workplace or it's a company you run, or even it might be a way to serve in this extension here in Minnesota. There are assignments God has given you that sometimes we just forget. We forget that that is an assignment that's already in our hands. First Timothy 5.8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I have that in there because one of the things that many of us have, either you're in it right now or it will happen in the future, is that you know, you're married and you have, um, you have kids. And the Bible says one of our God-given assignments is to take that seriously, is to work at it. You know, work at it as if, if you're doing it for God. And it's very natural to kind of, well, it's not perfect. Or, and the idea is like, no, this is something that God has given to you and you need to manage that well. I had one of these moments uh, years ago. I don't know if it was, it was probably something my wife said or a book I was reading and God, I don't know. It's just my brain sometimes connects them all together. And it was this idea that I tend to, when I'm learning something, I tend to take it pretty seriously. I, I go down the rabbit hole. 
And, uh, you know, in my career, even in my faith uh, with Jesus, like I, I, I invest a lot of time into this. And one of the, the points that kind of hit me was this idea that do I take the same type of energy that I take with maybe learning a hobby or my relationship with Jesus? Am I taking that same type of energy into my relationship with my wife? So the idea is like some of us in here, you know, we spend a lot on, you know, we spend a lot of time on taking, you know, making more money or, you know, maybe it's, you know, growing your social presence. I have no idea what it is, whatever. Guys, it might be, you know, learning, getting better at a golf swing. Who knows? Uh, I would be terrible at a golf swing. But the, the idea here is that the same way as you invest a ton of time into hobbies and different things like that, take that same type of energy into your relationship with your spouse. Take that same type of energy into being a better parent, maybe a, a better you know, follower of Jesus. And this is something for me that I felt convicted on. I felt convicted that, man, I spent a lot of time doing this, but do I, do I really, do I read books, talk to people? Am, am, I, am I learning how to be a better husband? And that for me was a breakthrough moment that my marriage is one of my God-given assignments that I need to take seriously. So you have to understand that you cannot uh, fulfill this by yourself, that you must own what God tells you to do and you need, and the idea is the more you understand what God has given you, whatever that assignment is, the more you can have confidence and it can grow. And so I would just encourage you, what is your God-given assignment that you've lost initiative on? You know, both, I'm talking to the people in here in our extension, also those watching right now, what assignment that God has given to you that there's been drift? And I would encourage you just write or jot down, just like, okay, yeah, I got to, you know, if you're sitting next to the person responsible, maybe don't do that. Uh, but like, what's an area that God has already given to you that you need to take seriously? Next, my confidence grows when I rely on my God-given strength. When I rely on my God-given strength. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my daughter, the six-year-old girl who kind of rules our house, I feel, and she was watching something on YouTube and it was like two kids that uh, interview different experts. And it happened to be uh, a bodybuilder. And so these two little kids were interviewing a bodybuilder and asking all these questions. And this guy, I swear, probably, you know, eats eight, 12,000 calories, like triple the amount I do. And it was funny, my daughter was learning some stuff about bodybuilding. And then she turned around and asked me, dad, are you a bodybuilder? And I, it took everything in me <laughs> to not be like, yes, you know, like deep. Uh, but no, no, I, I said no. And the reason why it's, it's a no is because, well, you know, you don't need to respond to that. But it's, it's a no because I don't have that type of strength. And often, you know, I, I bring that up because often when we think about the assignments that God has given us, we think we need to be stronger in order to get it. And we're kind of like Gideon, where we want more. We want more learnings. We want more information. And we're not willing to step up. And, he, and here's the reality is that God always gives an anointing for his assignments. That God gives an anointing for his assignments. And you have to understand that your assignment is not based off of your own abilities. It's not based off of where you're at now. Judges chapter six, uh, verse 15 and 16 says, but the Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. Again, this is Gideon talking to God. 
No, 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 I'm the weakest. What are you talking about? I can't do, you want me to go conquer these Midianites that have been ruling us? No, I can't do this. I mean, I don't know. Have you, you've never had this conversation with God before? Like, I can't do this. Like, you need somebody else. I'm not perfect. Whatever the fill-in is, it's very natural for us to say, God, you can't use me. And I am the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I love that, that God answered Gideon's rebuttal with a promise. I love that. It says that, and, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. See, Gideon is still, still stuck in this reality that he thinks this is something he's going to do. Gideon thinks he's going to do it. He's going to go conquer the Midianites. No, God is going to do it through him. See, God does not look at our abilities when he's handing out assignments. He's honestly way more interested in your availability. Are you willing to step up? I, I, I always laugh when I think about when I first came out of college, I applied to a bunch of jobs. And probably like many of us here, like you apply to jobs and you don't know anybody, like often you get rejected. And I got rejected over and over again for these jobs. And they kept wanting more education, more experience. And it, it, it was frustrating because I remember I was like, I may not be able to do the job on day one, but if you coach me and help me, I could get the job done. Um, and I, it, it was frustrating. And, and, and here, here's the deal is that God has an assignment for you. He's doing something the same way he's doing something with Gideon. And you don't have to be ready on day one. He's going to coach you. And that coach is the spirit. That coach is, is going to come along and give you the power and the strength to accomplish it. And the reality is, is that the more we rely on God instead of our abilities, the more is possible because we have limits. We have limits. And the, and the more we're actually going to be able to accomplish our assignment. Uh, Galatians 5, 20 through 21 says, this is Paul talking to a church in Galatia. It says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless for instead, for if keeping the law could help make us right with God, then there would be no need for Christ to die. Now, what's going on here is Paul is talking to a group of Christians in this city in Galatia. And there's one group trying to do things according to the rules. They're trying to follow all these rules. There's this another group that are actually following and more, more relying on the grace of God. And what Paul says, and again, I think it's funny. You might not think it's funny. I think it's funny that he says like, Hey, if you thought you could do it by yourself, then there was no need for Christ to die. Because Paul is saying it's idiotic to think that you need to do it. God, God's, God's doing it, not you. And I bring this up because this is how we often think. This is how Gideon thinks. That when God calls you to something, that we're thinking we got to do it by ourselves. And, and the truth is we don't. And if you think you don't need Jesus, then that's a whole nother problem. We need God's power and strength in order to get 
our tasks done. And, and the more we do that, the more our confidence grows. I remember when I was a new believer, I came to know Jesus when I was 13 years old. Uh, at that period of my life, my dad was out of my life. I had 10 years where I, I didn't talk to my dad. And my mom was struggling with her own uh, mental health issues, and she was self-medicating. And needless to say, when I would come home, I hated being home. And I literally, you know, I, I say to a lot of people that Jesus changed my life and saved me, but the church restored me because I loved being at a church. This is why I, I love when people gather here, when you meet and, and, and you interact. There's something powerful. My, my, my life was drastically changed because of gatherings like this. And, and I remember I had a conversation with God when I was like 14 years old because I was going to church regularly, but every time I come home, it was just a mess. There was fighting. It, it, it was just, it was chaotic. And I remember being on like my, my bed and I remember talking to God, kind of like Gideon here and being like, God, why do I still have to come home to this place? Like, why do I still have to be here? You know, I practically was saying, why do I got to be in this hole? <laughs> and, and it was it, to a point where it was whining. Now, whining isn't always bad. You know, like the Psalms are full of David sharing his heart. The problem with whining is that when it becomes paralyzing, and you don't do anything. And in my case, I started to get this habit and I started to actually embrace it. And what happened was, actually, my home environment didn't change a whole lot. A couple of years later, I, I ended up moving out from my mom's place and I moved in with my grandparents and then eventually my aunt and my uncles. And flash forward when I was in college, I led a life group of freshman guys. And I was leading this life group and my life was definitely going, it was different at that point and it was really good what God was doing. And I was taking home one of my, my life group guys who was a freshman in high school. And I remember he was getting out of my car and he kind of popped, you know, you know, freshman guys, they're a little quiet sometimes. And he was getting out of my car. And I remember he hesitated just a little bit. And I said, hey, what's, what's going on? And he said, Jay, I hate going into my house. My parents are fighting. I think that they're going to get a divorce. I have no idea. I, I love being at church. I hate being home at home. And it was one of those moments, I don't know if we've all had these moments, I, I've had these, this moment, and it was so powerful to, for God to remind me that this is my assignment, that I was there at that moment dropping this kid off to kind of give him a little bit of hope and perspective, that hey, one day, you're, you're not going to be in this house forever. One day, you know, you, you, you could get married, you can have a kids, you could start a new legacy of your own. Don't get too wrapped up in this feeling right now. And I bring this up because in that moment, I, I had high confidence that my assignment was to help him. My assignment was to say the right things to give him a little bit more hope, a little bit more perspective, and, and, and point him in the right direction. And guess what? When I was talking to him, that confidence wasn't coming from me. That confidence was coming from God. God was right there with me, giving me his spirit, so that I could help him in that moment. Your ability, and, and I want you to believe this, your ability doesn't determine your capacity. It's God's anointing that determines your capacity. And the more you understand your assignment, the more you, you understand your identity, and you understand where your strength comes from, God can use you, and that will build your confidence. 
God always gives an anointing for his assignments. Now, I'm so grateful for all of our campus pastors and them bringing the message together with me this weekend. And as we conclude our time together today, I hope that you are encouraged by those words. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Your confidence comes not from looking to the world and what the world says about you, not looking to your career or the amount of money that you have or even somebody that spoke something over your life. You are not what the world says about you. You are not what your coach says about you. You are not what your parents says. You are who God says you are. And one of the promises that comes up almost as much as any promise in the Bible that God speaks to his people, God says over and over and over again, I will be with you. In the Old Testament, God was with his people through the tabernacle and the temple. When Jesus came, God was with us in human flesh. And now today, God has poured out his Holy Spirit to do life with us, to live inside of us, to give us the power and the strength that we need. And when Jesus commissioned his disciples to go into the whole world, to make disciples of every nation, the promise that Jesus gave to them was, I will be with you to the very end of the age. I will be with you always. And our confidence comes as we recognize God is with us. You know, Stacy and I, you probably have heard me say this if you've been coming for a while. Stacy and I just recently went on our 20th anniversary trip. But when we came back, you know, there's always a, a bit of a detox that you go through when you come back from vacation. You've had lots of desserts. But the part that's always hardest for me when I come back after being on a vacation with Stacy is that we've been together all day long, every day. You know, I, I just love being with her. And there's something about being with her. There's like this withdrawal that I go through when I'm not with her as much after vacation. And I was thinking about that in relationship to God. You know, the longing to do life with God. The promise that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's with you. So in your deepest, darkest moments, your moments of loss, your moments where you feel like your confidence has been rocked, those moments where you struggle and you cry out, God is with you. And today I wanna to invite you to open your heart. You know, there's something so powerful. There's this ancient prayer that the church would pray to say, come Holy Spirit, I wanna do life with you. And today what I'd like to invite you to do as we wrap up our time together is I'd like for you just to call on God. Same way that the Israelites called on God, but perhaps today to call on God with a true sense of repentance. Perhaps some of you, you have been doing life in your own power. You've been doing it in your strength. You've been doing life looking for definition of your identity from the world. You've been fulfilling your own assignment instead of God's assignment. And perhaps in this moment, you would come back with a heart of true repentance. That word repentance is just a changing or a turning of your heart and mind back to God to worship him as the one true God. So I wanna invite you right now in this moment to pray a prayer of turning to him and to say, come, fill me with your power, fill me with your presence and give me your confidence so that I can fulfill the calling that you've placed on my life. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you love us so much. Grateful that you step into our brokenness, you are a God who does rescue and your rescue took you 
all the way to a cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid the ultimate price so that we could be rescued from our sins. And thank you today that the tomb is empty. And even now, as I'm praying at all of our campuses, there are some of you that if you're honest with yourself and you're listening to my voice, you're not confident that you've responded to this message right here, that Jesus died on a cross for your sins. He conquered the grave and is alive today and you've never invited him into your heart for salvation. With every eye closed and every head bowed right now in this moment, if you've never taken that step, I wanna invite you right now to invite him into your heart to say, God, I wanna do life with you. Jesus, I believe, you might say something that goes like this, Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you conquered the grave. I believe you're alive today and I open my heart to you right now in this moment. If you've prayed that prayer right now, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to let me know that you've prayed that prayer as we take our next steps together, that you made the most important decision of your entire life. Others of you who are followers of Jesus already, but you're not doing life God's way with God's help, God's strength. Perhaps you would just in this moment just say to God, I, I want to do life with you. I want to do life in your power. Help me. I'm turning to you the best I know how today. God, thank you that you give us the confidence that we need to fulfill the calling and assignment that you've placed on our lives. And right now in this moment, we just say thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us, that you've made a promise. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. And because of this, we can have confidence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more weekend message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.